I'm Jamisha Millard, and this is The Black Experience, a dive into everything Black. Sit back, relax, and imagine yourself walking through life in the lens of the Black community right here on CHUO 89.1 FM. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of The Black Experience on CHUO 89.1 FM. Today, we'll be focusing on tackling disparities in finance within the Black community. We're discussing the racial wealth gap between white and black folks, the available opportunities to help solve this issue, and learning how to make informed and effective financial decisions. For many years, the struggle for the black community to build, secure, and maintain wealth has been an ongoing issue. Many financial barriers began during slavery and continued after emancipation throughout the last 50 years. These barriers continue to contribute to black people's opportunities to create wealth. Our special guest in the studio is Aki Dapa, known as Financially Savvy Girl. She's a successful businesswoman who's the current chair of the Black Ottawa Connect, a director at Invest Ottawa, and director at Canadian Club of Ottawa. She's the founder of financial literacy and wealth building company Financially Savvy Girl Incorporated. She's an estate planning attorney and co-founder of the Women Investors Network Canada. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. So to begin our discussion today, we'll be talking about uh, your several business ventures, how you first got started and how it's been going for you. Absolutely. Uh, How did I first get started? Well, I got started by making financial mistakes that I learned from, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I remember when I graduated from law school many moons ago. (laughs) (laughs) It feels like many moons ago, over um, really over 10 years, so 12 years ago now. And I graduated pretty young um, and it was great. Everybody was celebrating. Wow, she's so young. She's a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in my early 20s. And uh, but, you know, I had this pit and, you know, in the in the middle of my stomach because I knew that I was graduating with so much law school debt uh, and really being completely financially illiterate, not knowing at all uh, what to do next in terms of tackling the debt. And uh, so I spent a few years after that, first going to the bank, I walked into a bank trying to figure out what do I do? Because obviously, what do you do when you want to get some knowledge? You go to the bank. And then, you know, through experience, I realized that the bank, um, you know, look out for the bank's interest and not for my interest necessarily. Right. So financial literacy is something that you need to empower yourself with so that you can be an active an informed participant in decisions of your own personal finance. So once I tackled that, uh, then, you know, I was able to get rid of over six figure worth of debt in less than three years uh, and then started building uh, significantly our wealth um, portfolio uh, with a mixture of diversifying our income, diversifying our um, our uh, investments uh, and including uh, significantly developing our real estate portfolio. That's amazing. Wow. I'm looking forward to becoming just like you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I'm sure you'll be even better. (laughs) So can you tell us a bit more about Financially Savvy Girl Incorporated and what was your main goal ahead of the launch of your business? See, that's, you know, I get this question a lot. And to be perfectly honest, Financially Savvy Girl, I had no intention of starting a business with it. Um, When our daughter was born, I started writing letters to her. 
uh, financially savvy girl is actually her. You know, that's how I called, I entitled those journals and letters to her because I was so determined to make sure that she would stand on my shoulder and not start a life uh, with financial illiteracy. So those were letters that I was writing to her about the knowledge as far as how to properly budget, how to start investing young, and what are some methods and tools that I have employed to completely change my money story. And, you know, as I started, I had like this small group of uh, younger girls or women, really, that I was mentoring as well. So I started sharing it with them. Because they were coming to me and asking questions. So I started having these little meetups and sharing with them some of the, the tools and uh, some of the strategies that I employ. And they were like, what are you doing? <laughs> why aren't you not like, why aren't you sharing this at a bigger platform? And I'm like, oh, I had no intention. But that's really how Financially Savvy Girl started. So then I started sharing my journey on Instagram. And then it just really grew into something a lot more and people wanting uh, more coaching and more uh, information. And then I uh, sharpen my skills as well with having coaching myself um, and also resources and education myself so that I can be a better service provider really and keep up to a speed with uh, the different strategies out there so that I can help other people. And that's how Financially Savvy Girl was birthed. That's actually amazing. Um, so when you did like those little meetups, what? how old were the girls? They were in their early 20s. Okay, okay. Yeah. Early 20s uh, to mid 20s, I would say. And some of them in their late 20s for sure, but the bulk early to mid 20s. Okay, amazing. It, that's how I feel like that's how um, successful businesses usually start up. Like you don't think it's going to be like anything. You're right. just doing it because something that you are passionate about. And then boom, it just becomes like a huge, you know, like a business. Yeah. And, you know, like I just felt that when I was trying to be informed at that age, right, in my early 20s, when I had all those debt. I realized that the information was not readily available. It's not like money is taught at school or wasn't back it's then, although now they're saying that it's going to be changed. I still haven't really seen a, you know, a major change, but the information isn't readily available. And oftentimes in home, you know, depending on your background, this is not a conversation that you have uh, at the dinner table. Mm -mm. You know, we don't talk about money. You don't talk to money with your girlfriends. And it's one of the most detrimental issue, even in our communities, because without talking about it, you don't really know what other people are making and you don't really know how to negotiate a better salary for yourself. You don't really even have the knowledge on how to change your money story. So uh, for me, when I became empowered with the knowledge and information, and I found that especially in the Canadian space, you didn't even see people who look like me who were sharing information and understood some of the uh, uh, the disparity and the gaps uh, that, that, you know, may be faced and sharing and overcoming that. So it was really important for me once I became very clear on there's a problem here. I'm like, we need to do something about it. I'm solution driven. And if there's a problem and I have access to Resources. some knowledge for the for for the solution, I'm not going to keep it for myself. Exactly. Right? Yeah. 
See, that's the thing. I never realized how big of a problem it was until I started working and I wanted to start buying myself like expensive things like a car and you know like I wanted to get I want to get an apartment soon you know so like it's not something that I realized was a big problem until I realized that I literally did not know how to manage my money and I was living check by check which exactly I'm still low-key doing but I'm trying you know it's just really hard and you don't have to (laughs) reach out I really don't have to and budgeting is truly what I call your money blueprint um, and the whole scenario of living paycheck to paycheck, I know it, I've been there and I promise you that you don't have to continue doing that. I know it. it it's literally, like you said, it's all about the choices you make in life. Like life is all about the decisions you make. So the yeah, choices. Absolutely. But you know, in fairness as well, it's the choices we make. Um, but when your choices are not, um, they're not driven with information, right? So I, I say there's two components. There's the informational stage of things where you have access to information, you've gained the information, the knowledge and the understanding. And then there's the second part, which is the implementation. That's where your choice becomes really important. Once you're equipped with the knowledge and if you choose not to apply it in your personal finance, in your own wealth journey, you know, then that's completely up to you. Right. So now it's a matter of empowering people with the information uh, for them, knowing where to come get the resource and the tools. And then the choice becomes up to them as to what they do with that. That's very true. I agree. Switching gears now, I also noticed that you're a director for two different local organizations and you co-founded a company named Women Investors Network Canada. Can you like dive deeper into your several business ventures for me, please? Absolutely. So um, as far as the Women Investors Network in Canada, I'm a co-founder alongside with Danielle and Esther. We are all three women investors um, and uh, investing significantly in real estate. And um, we noticed that, you know, when you enter circles or networking rooms where it's a mixture of men and women, the conversation is different, you know, and uh, we felt that there was a need for a space where women could gather, you know, and have conversation about investing and have conversation about real estate and have the knowledge uh, to know how to get started and how to scale up once they get started. And then also how to properly structure their businesses um, and grow their wealth for generations to come. Because I truly believe that when you empower a woman with wealth, you're changing a whole family tree uh, and possibly even a community, right? So, mm-hmm. and sometimes women, we don't necessarily feel very comfortable asking some of those very vulnerable questions when it's a mixed room uh gender wise. So having a space where women can come and let their hair down, feel comfortable to ask questions and see other women of different walks of life. All three of us co-founders are uh, come from completely different walks of life. So having even that aspect of representation uh, at the governing table, I think becomes really important. And we've created that space and we're very happy and proud to have this corporation because we have chapters now. Now, not just in Ottawa, uh, which is our main uh, 
chapter, but we have chapters in Vancouver of the Women Investors Network. We have chapter in Guelph, in Halifax, uh, and uh, Great Toronto Area, uh, Toronto. Uh, and we are also in the midst of incorporating, like starting a, uh, corp- uh, a chapter specifically in Calgary as well for this month. So the plan and the hope is really to develop our chapters all over Canada so that women can be empowered to know how to invest and understand how it works with the Canadian uh, system, including the law, because it's different from the U.S. And there's a lot of information in the U.S., but not enough uh, for Canadian to take advantage within our, um, our, our, our country. So that's the Women Investors Network in Canada. As far as board of directors, I am uh, the current chair of the uh, Black Ottawa Connect. And uh, the Black Ottawa Connect is just a really special and uh, wonderful network of Black businesses and um, individuals who um, have this space where we can really grow, foster relationship and network and share information. I think uh, especially I've seen the Black Ottawa Connect uh, just community really grow tremendously from the pandemic. You know, I say the pandemic, the pandemic actually birthed different, uh, <laughs> different pandemic and crisis, including <laughs> racial, right? And it, it became such a a great space um, for the Black community to gather and, um, you know, share information that allow them to grow from a mental, physical, financial standpoint as well. And, and it's been a great group. And I think from a financial standpoint, it's really great for people to tap into the resources um, that the Black Ottawa Connect offers. You know, we have like Money Mondays, uh, program that we do where there are different experts that come in um, one night uh, on Mondays for a period of time and various topics related to finance and real estate um, are covered there as well and really helping uh, the community in that sense. So I, I anticipate that we will continue that and other resources that could uh, assist. Uh, there's also the Invest Ottawa. Uh, Invest Ottawa is, um, you know, like a major, major uh, player, I would say, in our nation capital. And I think people need to tap more into it. And obviously, you know, once we talk about that, I can talk more about in ways that we can tap into it. But I'm a director with Invest Ottawa um, and uh, I'm also a director with the Canadian Club of Ottawa. What is exactly the Canadian Club of Ottawa? So the Canadian Club of Ottawa is a uh, space where you have various conversation uh, that, you know, tackles different issues, trending issues, um, and really allows people to grow with information and knowledge from a political, economic, climate um, standpoint and technology like a, a, a you know, realm of uh, issues and um, information is tackled within the Canadian Club of Ottawa. Um, And it allows people to really um, receive information from major players uh, that influence those areas uh, in our uh, in our city. And just to go back a little bit on some of the resources that Black Ottawa Connect 
um, offers. Are those like kind of like workshops, classes type thing? Yes. Are yes. they like in person or virtual? We held a lot of uh, virtual uh, last year. Yeah, because of obviously because of the lockdowns yeah. and and we also held uh, in person events, uh, networking events. Uh, Senka Set was a very major one and we would have it um, on a pretty regular base. And that just allowed people to gather in person and actually, you know, share whether whatever business that they may be doing or um, a network with other um, black business owners and entrepreneurs. And it was really great and successful. As far as the Money Mondays, they're held virtually uh, okay. for the most part. Perfect. All right. Everybody, you heard that. Black Ottawa Connect on Instagram. Go check them out. Yes. And there's a major t- platform on Facebook. Facebook. Oh, yes, because there's yeah. that group. So there's the Black Ottawa Connect Facebook group that has over 5,000 people and i've just really seen a lot of businesses grow just just because of that just because of that and they're part of that and a lot of great things um have been done in the community as a result i see the community in ottawa is getting really big and it's growing and everybody's really supportive of each other and i really really love that like i it's making me i used to be that person that used to be like wow ottawa is so boring but now (laughs) whenever i hear that i'm like um, you're just not looking in the right places. Exactly. Ottawa is amazing, actually. Exactly. Yeah. And what I love about like groups like that, like literally, if you're new in Ottawa and you want to know what's happening or, you know, you have a question, hey, I, I need to find a doctor. I need to find a lawyer. I need to find a dentist. People will uh, respond if you post like Mm -hmm. on Black Ottawa Connect, they'll send you a number of resources that you can tap into. So it's a great source of information as well. Amazing. So now, as I can see, you're a very, very, very busy person. Um, You have a lot on your plate. Very successful. Um, But as we know, being a mom and handling several things in our lives can become overwhelming. So um, can you reveal to us how you manage it all? How I manage it all. You know, I hear that question a lot. I think it's not a question of managing it all per se. It's about putting systems in place that manages it. Um, For me, I don't believe in killing yourself (laughs) to reach level of success. I believe that you can be successful, run businesses if you just take the time to put systems and allow yourself to know what is your place of genius and focus on that and be comfortable delegating the rest. That's key, right? That's how you scale up. Um, so for me, one of a major component of, you know, multitasking mom, wife and business owner and lawyer is really um, carving time for me. And I do this on a daily basis, and that's how I start my day. So the self-care journey is key. Um, I believe that you need to fill your cup before you can pour out. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're pouring from an empty cup and you're not pouring anything at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, And sometimes it can be not so nice mommy, not so nice wife (laughs) and a very grumpy employer or, you know, business provider. So my self-care journey um, really involves you know, waking up, doing my prayer, my meditation, my workout, and I connect with a group of 
of women uh, who are devoted and dedicated to show up for themselves. We work out. I do have a combination of a group coaching that's called Fit and Wealthy. Uh, so we work out together and I connect with the MCC as well, uh, ladies and the sisterhood. And we work out together in the morning, everybody doing their own workout. But it's just having that community of support, women from different walks of life, working out, showing up for themselves. And then I incorporate in my fit and wealthy coaching I'm, the importance of gratitude journaling and just creating that abundance mindset, right? Uh, just being grateful for every little thing uh, that you may have and learning how to practice that gratitude on a daily basis. You may not be exactly where you want to be in life right now, but you have to be grateful for where you are so that you can tap into, you know, a bigger vessel so that you can um, support more that will be coming. So gratitude is, is, is key. So now we're going to dive into some of the juicy stuff. Ooh. We're going to dive into some of the common financial barriers Black people face, any impacts that the racial wealth gap may have had on you personally, and some resources that the Black community, uh, specifically Black adults, can turn to in order to protect themselves um, when buying houses, renting, or whatever it is that they're trying to do. All right. So what are the most common financial barriers that you've observed the Black community face? Oh, man, most common uh, barrier. I, I think there are uh, both systemic and, um, you know, uh, non-systemic barriers for sure. Um, for, for instance, 85 cents per dollar are made by, um, you know, Black Canadian or visible minority compared to non-visible minority. And this is often despite having more formal education. Uh, I think that's a big one. And also, as far as, um, you know, from even occupying, you know, um, um, executive um, positions in companies, like, you know, being at the top level of the chain in companies, uh, there are some barriers to that, uh, that I think we can uh, work as a society to breach those barriers better. Um, and I see that as well in like in just different fields, you know, including law, including um, the retention rate of Black Canadian also. And, and it has to do also with what resources are available to really allow uh, Black Canadian to grow. And, and I say from a business perspective as well. Um, knowledge and information, as well as knowing how to tap into funding for businesses, for entrepreneurship, grants, knowledge of knowing how to apply for grants and getting those grants is also a barrier, I find. Uh, Canadian, you know, amassed a record of savings and wealth during the pandemic. Uh, but for Canadian of colors and, you know, uh, which I hate that terms, by the way, colors yeah, I know, yeah. uh, but for uh, minority groups the gain have been less and it's been less substantially you know and this isn't like a new issue you know mm -hmm. for decades visible minorities have had um, fewer vehicles um, to build wealth 
they are less likely to own financial asset and businesses. And part of it is systemic, but also part of it is lack of financial literacy, mm-hmm. um, lack of um, resources to really know like that is presented within the community. And a lot of the financial literacy is learned in the home front. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, So, you know, if you come from communities where it's been taboo talking about money or it's not something that's been really discussed in the family realm. And also a lot have immigrant parents or grandparents, right, where where when you talk about starting the generational wealth building, we're not starting at the same place. There's less in heritage. Like less people are inheriting, um, you know, lands that's come down from like generations to gen- from generation to generation, grandfather, grandmother, leaving all these plot of lands or farmlands and properties. You don't, we're not starting at the same uh, place. Um, and that creates issues as well, because um, clearly with, not starting at the same place, you may be starting from scratch and you may be the first uh, generation in your family to be financially literate. So you are carrying um, the, I, I don't want to call it burden, but kind of burden of uh, ensuring that the generation before yours, whether it be your uncles your and your parents, uh, that they get some information as well to help them retire properly. And in addition to that, you're also carrying the load of making sure that you're breaking that cycle for the generation that comes after you. Um, so there's definitely a gap there that I think can be um, bridged from uh, just with awareness, with knowledge, and with starting ASAP to build wealth, to invest, to understand how to budget. There's a way to do things in different countries. And what may work back home is not what works here. So tapping into those resources, understanding that, and starting to really build generational wealth, um, I think, is a major component in breaking some of them. Have you yourself been affected by racial wealth gap at all? If yes, how? If not, what were the factors that helped you avoid that? Have I been affected? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Like I said, we're not all starting from the same place, right? And I think a lot of um, Black community, especially I'm going to specifically speak to the immigrants. We we are starting the wealth, especially if, um, you know, like I, I remember vividly, my mom was an amazing and is up to date, an amazing saver. Like I still have a vivid memory being young, how she used to like save money and she used to like put bills and the fifth bill, she would roll it over the fourth bill, you know, like if it's 20, 20, 20, and then buy a hundred, she'll roll the, the hundred over. I can't quite explain it, but she'll kind of fold it and it'll be like a little pocket that holds the other four bells. And she would do that for a lot of it. She was great at saving, but they didn't have the knowledge of how to invest, you know? Mm-hmm. So they, she, she's great at saving, but in terms of how to grow that money, grow that money was different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my parents had, 
uh, properties and land back home and they built school. They were uh, pretty, they did amazing things back home, but coming here as well and just the extremely unstable political climate Mm -hmm. sometimes that you find in different countries, a lot of that wealth really just went down. Right. They built so much, but they sacrificed to come here to give their children a better future. And that's a sacrifice that I'll forever be grateful for. And for me, what they've done in terms of just creating that environment and that platform of just pure love that my siblings and I can grow uh, from and understanding, like I grew up in a household where there's no limitation in terms of your ability. Like I didn't grow up thinking I was lesser and I know I'm not lesser. So if somebody's out there thinking I'm lesser, that's your problem. That's not a Aki problem. That's a you problem. <laughs> yeah. So that's for you to deal with it. But it's because they've fostered such a strong mindset in me that I believe that your mindset, if you shift your mindset, you have the proper mindset, you can really do anything. So with that, um, the barrier is really starting to build from from us, from our generation, mm-hmm. right? And making sure what I spoke about, like making sure that what they have for them, that it's properly structured, right? To make sure that their retirement makes sense, to make sure that um, now whatever they have um, can 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 grow and they can uh, really have even greater latter days than they did in their former. They work so hard. It's time to enjoy life. And so there's that. Um, and there's also the aspect of, you know, making sure that our children have something to 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 stand on. Yeah. Right. So those are some of the barriers. And I do believe that they can be overcome by getting the information, the knowledge, the coaching that you need, and then implementing it to change your story. Sometimes like it is all about getting the resources and, you know, getting the knowledge and everything. And once you have all of that, you're on track. But then like something happens, like um, you, your car broke down or Mm -hmm. like the transmission broke down. You have to pay $6,000 to get it fixed. Sometimes there's like hiccups and it can be hard to stay on track. What would be your advice for For that? For that? This is where systems are important. Uh, Life will happen. Hiccups will happen. And uh, one thing that I will tell Uh, you and any other viewers, it's really important to have an emergency fund, Mm -hmm. right? When an emergency fund is a pool of fund and resource that you have to meet those unexpectables with the rainy days, you know, when something happens now, oops, I lost my job. Oops. It's March of 2020. There's a whole pandemic and people are losing job. Like, what do I do? Like I, I lost my job. I have no source of income and I still have to pay rent. If you have an emergency fund, an emergency fund should be, uh, I believe that it should be high interest savings account, uh, high interest savings account, leave it there um, where you're making a bit more money. I, I personally like EQ Bank for that. I think the interest rate makes sense. Um, or, you know, there's a new one, Neil, I believe you have to look more into that. But it's a high interest savings account. You're putting your money there and you are putting 
three months, at least three months worth of your expenses. So for you to know what that is, you have to know what your expenses are. You got to take the time to budget and figure out what are my fixed expense? What is my varied expense? And you tally that up and then you have your source of income. You tally that up and then you subtract your income minus your expenses. When you do that, then you know what's your cash flow. So you know if you're living within your means, below your means or above your means. That's the starting point. After that, you say, okay, these are my fixed expenses and I'm going to start putting XYZ amount. I believe in paying yourself first, right? You pay yourself first. 10% tithing is key for me. Uh, if you don't tithe, then just giving. It's important to know how to release money from your from your hands, like the law of attraction. Like you need to know how to release and do good with money. Like even a 10% of your pay, um, you know, do something good with it. And then the next 10%, if you don't have an emergency, start building your emergency fund. Um, and then the 10%, the next 10% of your pay, that's you investing. You put it in an investment account and you start investing your tax-free savings account, your RSP account. You are paying yourself first because you realize that even your own employer, what's the one thing that you notice when you get your pay? There are things that are subtracted from there, right? Mm-hmm. Like your union dues, your whatever else, everything, your 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 dental or your, so your benefit. Your, exactly. And the taxes. So what does that tell you? The government, they don't trust you to pay them after you receive your pay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> In addition to that as well, even your employer and the benefit that you get, the dues that you have to pay, the fees, all of that is removed. You need to start operating the same way. You got to pay yourself first. You need to not trust yourself that you are going to have enough money after you pay all your expenses to pay yourself. So you start by paying yourself first, right? And then you make sure to have three to six months, I say, worth of your expenses in a high interest savings account. That account is specifically for the rainy day for when things happen and you tap into it because you realize and you become more conscious of the fact that your credit card is not emergency fund Mm -mm. and too many people use their credit card like an emergency fund or just for fun just for fun and you know and then you have sinking funds you know you tell yourself hey i like to travel once a year then plan for it you know that you have let's say i don't know like 24 paycheck in in the year let's say i don't know Right. So, okay. so I know the trip. I'm going to take it by X, Y, Z month and it's going to cost me like three thousand or twenty five hundred. Well, I'm going to start putting every paycheck like a fifty dollars that goes into the sinking fund that I call my travel fund account. And you automate key. You automate doing that. I promise you when it's time for that trip. You have that money. And while you're charging the trip with your credit card, guess what you're doing after that? You're transferring that money into your credit card. You are charging on your credit card yeah. because you want to take advantage of those points. Mm-hmm. Right. And but then you are not tied up with having this huge amount on your credit card that you cannot pay exactly. because you didn't account for it. Yeah. So it's all about just putting proper systems. And this is what I teach people in my coaching. Amazing. Thank you so much for that. You're welcome. So historically, housing discrimination has stunted Black people's ability to build wealth. 
Um, so what can a prospective home buyer or renter do to protect themselves? Um, I think that goes in hand with also uh, my next question, which is what are some ways that African-Americans can improve their financial literacy? Like I said before, um, there's two different ways you can approach things. You can decide to look at the problem and stay and accept that that's a problem. And as a result of that, I am in this situation and I'm going to stay in the situation. So there's a, there's a, you know, wealth gap. Um, um, I'm black and um, I get discriminated and this is just what it is. You can, you can take that option or you can decide I am black uh, there is a wealth gap. I am mindful of the obstacles, but I refuse for that to be my story. Those obstacles will not be what stops me from building wealth. And I am mindful that no one is going to do it for me. And as a matter of fact, there may be some hurdles on my way there, but those hurdles will not stop me. You can have that mindset. I'm from the latter mindset, right? Um, so understanding that there are different ways in which you can build your wealth, you can tap in understanding how the credit score system works and not turning a blind eye to your credit score, but starting to clean it up. Like get your free credit report. Every year we get, you're entitled to a free credit report. Call them up, call TransUnion, get your free credit report so that you know exactly what, and that, that's not just the score, the report. They send you the whole report where you see exactly what is affecting, what are the things on your credit. Um, I say that your the credit bureau, you know, it's, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't say this, but it's kind of like the, the way you handle your finance, you know, your credit score will kind of let others know on your credit worthiness. It will kind of give an, an information of, is this person trustworthy with money? Right. And knowing uh, what affects your credit score, your utilization rate, you know, understanding um, that if you have a credit card, let's say you should keep it at 30% or less of your utilization rate, meaning like if it's it's a thousand dollar limit, uh, then you should make sure that the balance on it is three hundred or less, or you should pay it off every month if you use the whole thing, and make sure that you pay it off before the due date. That minimum payment is just you paying interest. You're not even paying really your principal, so you constantly feel like that debt is not going down. It's not going down, but that's because. You're actually not paying down your debt. You're just paying them interest for allowing them to use that credit. Right. Right. And we don't know that and people don't know that. So they they feel like they're stuck. But understanding that and understanding, um, you know, the various things that I call it, the pie that affect your credit score is really important. Being more intentional in terms of getting to the forefront of your personal finance and Telling yourself that I will be an informed participant, even if I have an advisor or whatnot, I will know what's happening. 
in my investments. I will know what's happening in my personal finance. Uh, I will not avoid those um, collect calls. I will make arrangements <laughs> to make those payments. All of those things become important in you cleaning your credit. So to kind of go back on folks getting discriminated when they want to like uh, buy or rent a house. Yes. Would you say like as opposed to someone trying to buy or rent for themselves to live in? And when black people try to get like investment properties, would you say that they like go through? I wouldn't say everybody gets discriminated against, but like, does that happen as well? What I noticed is at the appraisal stage, you know, when you're trying to get your property appraised, sometimes um, and it's not all, but it does happen where you see a disparity between them. The same home, let's say that it's appraised for a black owner versus it's appraised for a non-black owner. And you you notice that it's different. Wow. And it shouldn't be. No. Because it's the same home. So stuff like making sure that when you're ready to get your property appraised, if you feel like you're in those area where, you know, you have a nice home and it could be discriminated upon, removing like pictures you know, identify your pictures could be important. Yeah. Um, and and it, it shouldn't happen, but it does happen. And I've seen people do that. Uh, for me, even in terms of tenants, a lot of tenants don't know that uh, we are, I am the owner. I don't feel like you need to know that I'm the owner. I don't feel like you need to even know that this building is black owned. Yeah, to be honest, because yeah. that could just be, bring in more problems than, um, positive uh, experiences or situations. Right. So I don't necessarily share it. I don't think it's part of you making a decision if the the, the apartment or the house makes sense for you to live in. So um, I don't share those type of information. It's actually none of your business. Period. <laughs> so it's sad, but period. Yeah. You have to do to you have to do what you need to do to protect yourself. Exactly. Exactly. And so. Those are just different things that I do that I find help. I don't know if um, I can't really have like a measure to be like, oh, yeah, it's it's that's why, you know, I'm successful in it. But those are just things that I do. And I I do believe that it saves me a lot of headaches. Awesome. So now I'm going to get your perspective on how the racial wealth gap affects our economy. We're going to discuss some resources that our Black youth can rely on and uh, different ideas that would be great to put an end to or at least reduce the impacts that the racial wealth gap has on the Black community. So do you believe the racial wealth gap affects our economy? Absolutely. Canada is a country where you have a lot of immigrants. Affecting our economy, I say to the detriment of the Black community in the sense that if we are not growing our wealth for generation to come, we're also affecting our personal economy. And we're also affecting our economy um, as a country because I think representation matters. And I think seeing more Black-owned businesses becomes important. And I think seeing more Black entrepreneurs and head of CEOs become important as well to influence our next generation. 
the Black community has been tremendous, like big consumers in different spaces. And, um, and I would love for us to uh, go from being big consumers and become big, you know, wealth generators and also like big economic uh, empowerment force to help uh, with policies that, you know, uh, can really impact and change our community for the better. So, and I do believe that when you are financially and economically empowered, you position yourself at, you know, at the table where decisions are made as opposed to not being at the table mm-hmm. and decisions are made on your behalf. Uh, so you become lobbyist, you become um, a powerhouse and force to drive some of the change that we want to see and not just make those demands for those changes. So that's key. Um, so there is a lot of resources available for uh, the Black community. But if we really want to focus on um, the Black youth children and still in high school or getting out of high school, going right into university, what are some resources that our Black youth can turn to in order to build savings and build wealth and, you know, uh, start building their lives, basically? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. Uh, for starter, in terms of just like free resources, podcasts. Podcasts, yes. You know, we don't talk enough about podcasts. Like podcasts is just a space where you can just, and it helps you shift your mindset. The mm-hmm. more you're feeding your mind with that information on financial literacy, how to build wealth, how to, um, you know, how to scale up, how to, uh, you know, how to budget, pro- the more you build, you, you, you feed your mind with that information, the more equipped you become in terms of your readiness to apply it. So podcasts, books, right? becomes very important. Um, I would also say that uh, there are some of those resources. We are hoping to uh, do more things in, you know, that impacts directly our youth through the, through Invest Ottawa and also through Black, um, the Black Ottawa Connect. In addition to that as well, tapping into investment, you know, especially if you are, Parents, if your children are young, start investing for them. Make sure beyond just having an RESB that you start actually investing for them, uh, whether it's through a trust or a TFSA that you open under your own name, but just start putting money for them. Because the reality of the matter is, you know, if you're investing even just a 2000 from the moment your child is born to the time they're like 18 years old, like $2,060 invested with a 10% annual return compounded with interest can make your child a millionaire by the time they're by by the time they're an adult. There is no better time than yesterday to start investing and the next best time is today. So I did some research. Um the National Advisory Council uh did a survey um or some research on how they can eliminate the black white wealth gap. And they found that it is possible to develop and um, put in place a number of policies that could have meaningful long term effect on reducing the black, white and wealth gap. So what are some policies you think would be effective to reduce the black and white wealth gap? Because although they did find 
some they're not obviously nothing was put in place yet so i was just wondering like what would you think would be effective i am not sure if it's really from a policy perspective more in terms of resources providing more resources that allows the community to grow from a financial standpoint become economically empowered and a force um and then also um you know less red tapes um you know i think uh, a community is empowered when they start having businesses that are sustainable and um in addition to that as well when you know you start having like a credit union a bank you know why why not right so uh more resources or f- less red tapes in terms of getting those resources and then for people who are employers um, having more also resources for mentorship and coaching to allow them to grow and they have to be culturally appropriate mentorship and yeah. coaching right where they feel uh, respected they feel um, you know it's a space where they can actually be vulnerable and grow and then, Uh, there has to be better ways to uh, tapping into higher you know platforms in in those jobs where they can actually hold positions um, that allows them to 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 grow their income a position that allows them to um, develop their leadership and management skills and i believe in diversification of income so and you don't have to have all of your legs in one source of income so True. um also um better uh, loan and funding uh, opportunity for entrepreneurship and business startups uh, that i'm starting community. to see there in the community it's really needed perfect well this um wraps up our conversation um before i let you go would you like to let our listeners know where to find you online absolutely i'm a lot more active on instagram um so you can follow me at financially_savvygirl uh you can also see us on uh, the women investors network uh page which is at wink w i n c dot investors Uh, but feel free to reach out to me on financially underscore savvy girl if you uh, want more wealth building tips or you don't have a will in place or you want some coaching on just figuring out your money story so that you can start building with financial intelligence. It would be my joy and honor. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here and thank you for your time. Thank you. Amazing. Thanks for having me. This was the Black Experience on CHUO 89.1 FM, a safe space where we discuss and dive into everything black. Thank you for listening and catch us right here every Wednesday on lunch hour from 12 to 1 p.m. If you missed our show, please tune in on Spotify. That was it folks. Have a great rest of your week and see you soon.